Welcome back, Chiefs Kingdom, to the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner, back with RKJ, Ron Cobb Jr. We're here after a little hiatus with no Chiefs news happening in between. We're back here to cut the rest off, maybe put some more structure in the Out of Structure Podcast. But before we get into all that, Ron, my friend, how you doing? How's life treating you? Stags, I'm good, man. I'm good. It's summertime. Uh, I'm jealous of your pool. I'm sure the people at Twitter saw that. That was you got the you got the nice pool set up, making us all jealous. Uh, you know, I don't in my one bedroom apartment. Uh, believe it or not, I don't have my own pool uh, in the back. So uh, no, Stags, good to see you, man. Good to see you. Um, I'm just excited for this, you know, 2.0 version of the Out of Structure podcast. Uh, the second season, we're going into it, right? You bet. The weather's getting warm. Training camp is quickly approaching, although it seems like a lifetime away. Uh, again, Chiefs news coming in rapid fire. Uh, but you know, we we're giving some thought, took some time off on the Out of Structure podcast, and we thought about some new features, some ways that we can keep you all informed and entertained throughout the offseason, get you through the lull here, and get you ready for the season. We're, when we get back to the season, we'll probably be doing our, our weekly review of the game, looking back at, at what happened in the, in the previous week. Um, taking your questions in the mailbag as well. But we've got some off-season features that we're going to roll out in today's podcast. I hope you all enjoy them. Uh, We certainly appreciate you all tuning back in and uh, joining us here on this journey, spending some time with us, and uh, looking forward to a second year. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Uh, you know, last year, you know, we, we threw together the pod because, you know, us two, you know, vets of AP now all of a sudden, I hate, it's crazy to say that, uh, me, I still feel like I just started, but, uh, you know, we're the AP vets a little bit now out of the, the content, the writer guys. And, you know, we, we, I, I won't speak for you stags, but like, I, I was a writer, you know, I didn't, I didn't get into AP to be on a podcast or be, you know, uh, you know, and shout out Jay Binkley. He's brought me on the radio quite a bit to give me opportunities in that space to get better at this. But, you know, I, I, I just like to write. I didn't never really, you know, think about the podcasting part of it. And, and, and there's some things that, that are tough about it. And, uh, you know, I just appreciate the listeners. We had a lot of good questions last year. I feel like we did get a lot of, uh, you know, constant listeners, you know, the, the consistent guys. You know who you are. Shout out you. I hope you keep listening. hope you keep giving us feedback on Twitter. But yeah, no, we're we're just gonna, you know, we're we're honest about it. We're gonna get better at this. We're gonna be more entertaining for you guys, uh, and and you know, it was a long off season. We got a lot to talk about, so uh, you know, we're gonna get creative with some of the stuff we're gonna talk about, and it's gonna start today. So I'm excited, Sex. You bet. Well, let's just start with the uh, breaking news of the day. Uh, we're recording this on a, on a Sunday night, and earlier today, the news broke that Melvin Ingram. Defensive end, edge player that was so instrumental in the Chiefs' defensive turnaround of 2021 is now signing with the Miami Dolphins, joining Tyreek Hill and and other former Chiefs uh, way down south. What do you think of the the news about Melvin Ingram? Well, I'm sure glad the Chiefs did that unrestricted free agency tender, which none of us knew existed um, until they did it, um, which maybe that's why they did it, because they had a sneaking suspicion that he was tempted to go play elsewhere and uh, they wanted to make that hard on him or at least get something back for it. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I, this whole offseason, honestly, uh, since the draft with everything in- included, I kind of had the assumption that that was going to happen, right? That Ingram was going to be back in Kansas City, that we kind of could factor that into how we think about the edge room, or the defensive end room. And now all of a sudden, we kind of, kind of, kind of regroup what, how we think about this, you know, our, our perspective on it. I mean, Stags like Melvin Ingram was kind of the ace in the hole last year at the position, 
and now you don't have him. You know, it's just it's it's Frank Clark, it's George Karloftis, and then you know a lot of you know unknown. I mean, Karloftis is an unknown, right? So it's Frank Clark and a lot of unknowns right now. And Ingram was a known, and so I don't know. I obviously want your thoughts too, but do you think they should go after another veteran DN kind of like Ingram at this point again? Because there's not a lot of options out there. It's you know after the draft and everything. Yeah, I would love to see another veteran, especially somebody with a little bit of juice off the edge, some more of a speed rusher to complement the other players that they have. You know, in retrospect, I, I thought that that was going to be Ingram as well. Yeah. In retrospect, Ingram really plays more like a power player, even though he's a little undersized. He's a powerful guy, sets a strong edge, plays a run really, really well. He got some pressures last year, but not a lot of sacks. Um, so maybe his role actually is going to be a little bit more overlap with what Clark Loftus is going to bring us <laughs> this year. That's what I've nicknamed the uh, duo Frank yes. Clark, George Karloftis. So Clark Loftus are going to bring a lot of that power edge play, uh, but you don't, you can't really name a speed guy on this roster. Oh my God. Clark Loftus. I love that dude. I, I love bringing that to the table. Just, just, it, it's so menacing too. It has such a menacing name <laughs> to it. No. And that's, and, and, and you mentioned the, the, and, and Karloftis is kind of what Ingram did to an extent. You were the one who, who kind of brought that up. And I think that's a good point in terms of, you know, maybe a guy that plays with a lot of power, plays a lot of raw, you know, just, just momentum and, and physical hands, but you know, just maybe isn't the 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 biggest dude, and so you, you kind of have to play with that momentum rather than just you know if you're kind of with if you don't have the momentum, maybe you're not as strong, all that kind of thing at the point of attack. But yeah, no, I, I think that kind of shows you maybe they they think a lot about the other guys behind them, which I know we'll get into a little later. But I would like to see the DNs, um, you know, maybe a veteran DN get in here. But you know, I do want to make this point here while we, while we talk about it. I mean, I don't know if you had a point there, Stags. I'll let you. No, I was actually just going to ask. You, you kind of come up with a short list of potential veterans that are on the market uh, at that position that could that could help. I wanted to see if any of those actually were were of interest to you, or if you were just listing off the available names to and make a point. I definitely was just listing them off because none of them do actually do anything for me, really. Um, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, if you really want a guy that's just going to eat up snaps, which I don't think that's what they want, but if they really felt like they needed it, um, you know, he's played in uh, Spagnolo's system, obviously. You know, hey, Alex Okafor is still out there, only 31 years old, not as old as you'd think for someone that feels like it's been around forever. Uh, so, no, I there's not anyone that would excite me, but I wouldn't be surprised with either of those names. You know, a Ryan Kerrigan's out there, too. But, you know, I do want to point this out, though, Stags, and, and I tweeted this after the news, but it's just kind of goes to Veach's point, which he's been emphasizing all offseason, is, is they're getting younger. They're, they're getting younger, and every decision they've made, or, and, or every no decision, you could say, like not signing Melvin Ingram, um, has, gone, has gone towards the side of, hey, we want to get younger. We want to get you know, guys that are, that are more developmental, maybe, rather than you know, uh, has-beens or what the, we already know. And that's the case for like, pretty much every transaction they've made this offseason. It's just... It is. It is kind of refreshing to see Brett Veach like commit to that, right? Like not half-ass the the you know the youth movement. The hey, we want to get these guys you know the snaps so they can be ready for twenty twenty three and four. All that they're not half-assing it. They're they're going all in with this youth movement. It, it seems like, and I and I enjoy that that commitment to it. Uh, I don't know about you. Do you do you feel the same way? Yeah, and, and I do think money talks a little bit, right? So if. You know, they, they threw out a lot of nice words about Tyron Matthew, about how this is a player they wanted to bring back and they love him yeah. and proceeded to let him walk. And 
it, it makes you wonder if they were given a little bit of lip service to Melvin Ingram here as well. So this is a this is a player. Sure, we wanted him back, you know, at, at our number. But if, if maybe they weren't that serious about bringing him back, maybe they did want to get younger. And I mean, it is a extreme long shot at this point to think that they're going to get contributions from some of the young guys on the roster already at defensive end. Yeah, it would yeah. be it would be a shocker if you got you know, Malik Herring and Josh Kando as, you know, substantial role players or rotational players, or, you know, they really were able to, to bring some production. Um, you know, may, they obviously know more than we do. They've been in the room with those guys. Maybe they do have more expectations than we think about those guys. And that's their plan is to just go really young uh, on the defensive line. Well, and, and this is the youth of the entire defense, though. I mean, first of all, besides Frank Clark at the edge position, the you know the second youngest or oldest player, I should say, was drafted in 2020. And that's kind of the case around the entire position group. Real quick, I, I noted this. The oldest player in the cornerback group was drafted in 2019. The oldest player in the linebacker group was drafted in 2020. The oldest player in the safety group was drafted in 2018. And that's Justin Reed the oldest interior defensive lineman besides Chris Jones was drafted in 2018. So you're talking about a lot of youth. Like everyone in this defense is very young, even the role players, really. It's, it is it is kind of crazy to see all this youth. There's a lot of guys that have already proven it at that age, but a lot of guys that haven't. So it's going to be an experiment this year a little bit. Yeah, I mean, of the names that are on the market, uh, really of the list that you gave me, only Tack McKinley fits that profile from an age standpoint. Yeah. And he's happen. really been a – He's had a small role on on his previous team, right? He's not really been a featured pass rusher yet in this league. No, he hasn't been. No, he he's he's been a disappointment, and so that that's that's where it's you know you're kind of just throwing a, a dart out there. But hey, it does fit what we've seen from Brett Veach do before, <laughs> a former first round pick. It's usually at the cornerback position, but uh, I guess I guess he might swing at edge. You know, you never know. We'll take all the huddled masses of disappointing first round picks that yeah. have failed, and uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a I, I think I made this point on one of the draft reaction pods, but Brett Veach went out of his way to say that they had a lot of work to do on the defensive line this offseason. He did not say that they wanted to make it better. <laughs> uh, so a lot of the work that he's done is bring back Frank Clark, bring back, um, you know, bring back the the nose tackle. Yeah. Uh, Derek Roddy, yeah. Uh, and, and then really, you know, replace kind of on a one-to-one basis, you know, uh, with younger players uh, and let some of the older guys walk, you know, they, that's not, none of those are drastic moves. None of those are, are drastic improvements necessarily or, or no guarantee of that. Um, so they, they've done work along the defensive line. It's just, it's yet to be seen whether that's an improvement or not. In fact, Ron, unless you have something else to add on that front, this is a nice segue into our next segment. I was sitting down thinking about how many different specific roles on this team are going to be better in 2022 as compared to 2021. Now, I'm not talking about position groups or or even necessarily, um, you know, one-to-one player uh, comparisons, but but actually it really is those jobs. Like at, at this specific role, this specific job, are the Chiefs going to be better moving forward than they were last year? So let's go offense, defense, special teams – and talk about some of these positions and see if we can tally up because I only have maybe two or three positions where they could be worse than last year and a lot more that I think have actually improved, even though some of them are low impact 
down the roster type guys. One of the big goals for the offseason, as I saw it, was they needed to improve on the depth of this team. So it's not that they needed more stars, which of course they do. Every team you know, would, would love to have more top-end players. But if you look down at who was getting significant snaps uh, for this Chiefs team over the last few years, you know, players on the on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball that were their production did not match the opportunities that they were given. Uh, and it was just sort of time to see somebody new there. So we don't know for sure if some of these are going to be improvements or not. But in some cases, at least from my point of view, a change is an improvement. Uh, yeah. You're not going to see the same guys trotted out there uh, snap after snap. But so let's start on the offense. Uh, so I'm going to make the case that when you look at wide receiver, they've they've upgraded some very specific one-to-one roles here. So I think that you can consider Juju Smith-Schuster an upgrade over Byron Pringle. They can function in fairly similar ways. Uh, they're both physical players, great run blockers. You know, can make the tough catch. You know, strong hands, contested t- catch type guys. Um, so I think if you just line them up in that way, that's an upgrade. Yeah, and and I actually agree with that. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious. I, I don't think a lot of people would disagree, but I, in terms of the position to position or like the direct comparison, what role they're going to play, I do think a lot of what Byron did last year was just you know be a guy that has a good you know good strength, good size for a receiver. But also has has pretty good quickness and speed and everything. That's what Juju does. You know, Juju for his size can move pretty well, and I think Juju is going to just be a better overall playmaker. I do think he gives you a little more after the catch, and just in terms of he's a better football player than Pringle. So I think I, I think that's a hundred percent. You knocked that one out of the park. I don't think anyone's disagreeing. All right. So also at wide receiver, again, very similar roles. I can imagine slot MVS in for Demarcus Robinson. And you've got a second upgrade at the wide receiver position, Uh, both potential deep threats. You know, both are are players that can get downfield. Also good blockers. uh, Right. So, yeah, can block. Uh, Demarcus Robinson was a was a really accomplished blocker. Um, So I think just on the offense, just in that specific role, I'm going to call that an upgrade. Yeah. And I think. I think what D-Rob was giving them is similar to what MVS will be giving you, that, that secondary player that's going to get deep on a, on a post corner and, and get behind the whole defense every once in a while. You hope MVS is a little more, though, and I think he can be. I think we saw towards the end, Robinson just, you know, I mean, he was either making a huge play like that or it was a very negative play, and I don't think MVS is going to have that same sort of uh, volatility. So, yeah, so, I, I think right there you're, you're spot on with both of them. So can we say that MVS is a step forward uh, as, as, compared to, <laughs> as compared to Robinson? Yes, yes. Right. I love it. I love it. And right, he's, number, he's number 11, too. He's even, he's even stealing his number. So There you go. Well, sticking with the wide receivers, I think the one position you can argue is maybe going to be worse off than last year. Again, this is probably not that controversial, but you can't replace Tyreek Hill at wide receiver one with one with a one-to-one comparison. I think they're going to take Sky Moore and have him do as much of the the McCall Hardman. I'm sorry, take, they're going to take Sky Moore and have him do as much of the Tyreek Hill job as he can. Uh, and I think Sky Moore is going to be very good, but he's not going to be Tyreek Hill. So we'll mark that one as a, as a downgrade. Yeah, and and you know it it, it goes to kind of the overall picture of the receiver position as a whole. You know, yes, you have those secondary receivers we just talked about. They did improve, but does their overall impact on the team 
improve when they're not behind Tyreek Hills or wide receiver one, right? Like that's the question. Again, we're talking about individual roles. So yes, that did improve. But the wide receiver one, it could have been such a downgrade, which I, I do think there's there's something to McColl and Sky Moore together can kind of you know do some of the things they need out of Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, whether it's McColl Hardman's deep speed, you know, just straight ahead speed, kind of big playability, or Sky Moore's ability to get yak, you know, create separation in the short to intermediate areas. All that to say, the wide receiver position as a whole, you know, I, I do think you could maybe if, and we're not talking about this right now, but if you're talking about the receiver position as a whole, that could have just gotten worse just because Tyreek Hill puts such a ceiling on that. Now you don't have that, you know, it, it, it even if the other, you know, even if the secondary positions get a little better, you know, it, it's not going to, the position as a whole may not be as good. I, I think the position as a whole as a whole might end up being better in the long run. Okay. I know that's a, that's a tough thing to say because again, you've got one player that's all world and a whole bunch of other just just guys, right? I I really think Juju Smith-Schuster can regain the form that that we've seen from him. He can be a thousand yard receiver really mm-hmm. easily. I think McCole Hardman has that potential. Sky Moore has that potential. I mean, you've got you've got a, a more well rounded room with more options that, with guys that actually have upside, and they're all still young as well. So. I think you have an opportunity for the room as a whole to be better, even if the one guy at the top is not as shining as it, as it was before. Yeah, and, and to your argument, you know, and I, that's something I'm fascinated to see this season is our defense is going to adjust to not having Tyreek and kind of take more risks so that there's more opportunities for vertical, you know, threats. You know, there's more opportunities to just get deep. You know, that could be the case. And in that case, you know, not maybe it is a step forward to not have Tyreek as crazy as that sound because it makes it easier on Patrick Mahomes because he can finally see a defense that gives him the ability to go deep and, and give him a man coverage situation rather than playing too deep, no blitzing the entire game. I'm sure he got tired of that a little bit. Well, and I, again, I think this was Mike Morganzi after the draft that said, uh, what do you expect from receiver? What do you like about Sky Moore? Uh, and he is a guy that is going to get to the exact spot he's supposed to be, and he's going to catch the ball. Yeah. And, and the way that was said – I think really hit us all, you know, in the fields because that's been an issue. You see a lot of disconnect between Mahomes and his receivers in the past. You see a lot of like, you know, guys like McColl, Demarcus, those guys would run a route and Mahomes would be, you know, pointing at him after the play, <laughs> saying, Hey, that's not where you were supposed to be. Or remember the the McColl keep running, you know, yeah. the shouts. You know, there is something to be said for for a room full of competent receivers that know where they're supposed to be and they can get there and then they don't drop the pass when they get a chance. That might be that you might see a bigger improvement than you think there. Well, yeah, and you know, I w- I will say I'm glad you brought up that Borgonzi quote because I actually had that noted down too. And and you're right. He actually the question to him was what does Sky Moore bring you that you haven't had in the past? And he didn't directly answer it by going into what you said, but kind of, you know, he kind of tur- circled around for a second and then got into that point, which I think is all you need to know. And 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 I will say Pringle was a lot more hit or miss than I think we give him credit for. Like, I, I do think he was a little bit more closer to D-Rob in terms of all of a sudden a ball would pop out of his hands flying into the air or like, you know, he just had some drop issues at times. I do think there was a lot more inconsistency sometimes than, than we give, uh, than I give him credit for. I, I think sometimes I think of him more as a, a reliable, solid player than maybe he deserved a little bit. Well, you know, I essentially named this podcast after Patrick Mahomes and the way that he can play out of structure, the way that he can improvise. <laughs> right. But 
for all the talk about that, for all the talk about him and Robinson being on the same page when he improvised, him and Hill being on the same page when he improvised, I do think this offense does rely on better route running. And there's reason why – I think this is one of the big reasons that Josh Gordon hasn't caught on with this team is when he's been out there, he's not always in the right place. Some of the passes that he's dropped, there was another receiver within five feet of him when he when he tried to catch the ball. Yeah. And, it, and it makes you think there's no way they drew it up that way. And, and I think that there's – there's a way to play within structure. There's a way to play out of structure while keeping your spacing, while understanding the the timing of the play and the and where Mahomes, you know, is is looking. And I think that there's uh, there is something to be said for again guys that 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 know what they're doing and have a have a certain nuance to the way that they're running routes uh, that I do think was lacking a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. But I want to hear another offensive position you think has improved. What do you got? All right, so I think there's a potential, and we're, I'm going to throw this out there and see what you think. Um, I think there's a potential for some improvements in the offensive line positions. So I happen to be a big fan of Lucas Niang. I, I think this is a guy that is is getting to be very underrated uh, other than the health issues he's had, which which obviously are serious, and that's the biggest threat to him being a, a contributor. I'll make the, I'll actually I'll go so far as to say if Lucas Niang was completely healthy, then he is a starting right tackle, and they're not even looking for a replacement. But the fact is he hasn't been. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, so will, will you say that right tackle is better if 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 Kennard wins the job outright and he's your guy? Is that an improvement over Niang slash Wiley? Because you know if it's Niang, then a lot of times you're going to get really going to get Wiley. Is that position improved with Kennard day one? Let me let me ask you real quick because I, I actually disagree with the fact that if Niang was healthy, I mean, I, I still I would still like them to be actively looking, especially in the draft. I, I think you draft Kennard there either way. I, I think at that value, he just fell so late. You know, you you bring him in for competition. But let me ask you, kind of a call. I'm not arguing with the value there, but when you watch that phone call and Brett Veach calls Kennard and said. We yeah. had one more position we had to get in this draft. It was right tackle. Yeah. And we got you, and we're pumped about it. I don't think that they're sitting there in the draft saying, we have to leave this draft with a right tackle. I think they might I see, see what like Kennard and say, he's a great value. Let's take him and just see what happens. But I don't know that it's on the shopping list. I see, I see what you're saying. Okay. I, I, I'd probably agree with that um, because I do think Niang has shown you enough to where with Wiley behind him and you know I they did bring in Jerron Christian who is a younger guy who can play tackle I mean you know maybe you maybe you don't uh think about it as a need again yeah Kennard fell so late but you know in my opinion yeah if Kennard comes I mean Kennard is coming into a spot where he's going to be playing right tackle in the offseason and OTAs and in the summer stuff all the way into training camp possibly without Niang ever seeing the field in in those situations maybe maybe in training camp we don't know um, if honestly, if you ask Pete, you know, uh, Pete Sweeney on the editor show, he, he didn't really make it sound like he, he would be good, uh, you know, maybe till closer to week one, you know, maybe later in training camp, maybe start on the PUP list. So that makes me think that, you know, it, it's got to be Kennard because they're not, that's the thing in practice in a practice setting, you're going to see Kennard, you're going to see Andrew Wiley, and you're going to want to go with Kennard. Like, yes, you know what you got with Wiley and you can probably always fall back on that, but Kennard's going to emerge out of those two. And so, if if Kennard does win the job, I, I in my opinion, from what I saw, I really liked him in college. He was the guy that I highlighted before, uh, you know, the draft and everything. 
I would I would think he might be a better fit with the Chiefs than Niang just because he's more of a mauler. Now that's the thing, you know, maybe Niang's better in pass protection right now because he's in, he has NFL experience, and maybe you value that more, and maybe I should value that more. But I don't know. I think maybe the drop off from Kennard in that sense isn't as great. So I would say if Kennard starts it, it and especially because if he does earn that position, he's going to be playing it the whole season. He's not going to be switching off with because I don't think you know it's not like Niang's going to automatically get it back if when he's healthy. If that's the case. So I, I do think with that in mind, I would say it'd be an upgrade if Kennard does win the right tackle position. Yeah, I, I think you kind of took my points there. That uh, if if Kennard takes hold of this job now, Nang's not going to get it back from him. He, right. It, he's he, It's going to be a Trey Smith situation where he starts from day one and then he just takes hold of it and you love to see what those guys can do on the field together. You just got younger. You just got nastier. And, and you've got, like, the physical profile, you know, uh, of this offensive line is, is solid and it's, and it's really good and it's really going to be fun to watch because I think those guys are, are going to finish in a way that Lucas Niang and Andrew Wiley don't really do yeah. uh, in the same way. So I'm going to chalk that as, up an, as an upgrade. And we'll move on to – we're getting really, really deep on the roster here, but at backup center, uh, they had Austin Blythe last year replacing the previous – starter of Austin Ryder, who got replaced by Creed Humphrey. Blythe never saw the field. They replaced him with Ryder. A lot of people were surprised when he got cut, but then he got immediately re-signed. You know, he's going to be that veteran that they can just let hang around and be the 54th man on the roster. But do you think the backup center position is in better hands with Ryder than it would have been with Blythe? You're talking about Super Bowl champion starting center, right? Super Bowl (laughs) champion Austin Ryder? Uh, Of course, dude. You got Super Bowl vet back there. Of course, it's gotten better. I mean, does Austin actually wait? Austin Blythe might have a ring. I I think Blythe was starting (laughs) at guard for the Rams, if I remember correctly. There you go. See, not center, not center. You know, Austin Ryder's got that center Super Bowl experience. That's all you need. That's all you need. You bet it. You also have (laughs) Nick Allegretti back there who can play some center as well. Yes. uh, I think that position's in good in good hands. All right, another one that might be controversial. How about running back? So last year's running back room, you know, featured Daryl Williams along with Clyde Edwards-Helaire, uh, and then Derek Gore and Jarek McKinnon. Uh, this year, you've replaced essentially Williams with Jones, and I think that to me that's a little bit of a toss-up. But uh, I I think Jones maybe has a little bit more upside as a pure runner. I think Williams maybe is a better all-around player when it comes to pass uh, pass protection and, and receiving. Um, but what do you think? Do you prefer Ronald Jones or Darrell Williams? So, yeah, you're right. I think Ronald Jones is a pure runner for what they probably are going to want him to do as an early down back, as a guy that's going to get downhill, uh, you know, maybe under center, a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, hard-hitting runs, like I said, early downs. Yeah, I think Ronald Jones is a better runner than what Darrell Williams gave you. Um, you know, I, I think Darrell Williams had some spurts, but you know, at, at other times it just seemed like he wasn't, you know, wasn't very explosive. And I do think Ronald Jones is explosive as a ball carrier. Now, Ronald Jones is not a very good player in in the pass game at all in terms of pass protection, in terms of catching the ball. Darrell Williams was really good at those things. Um, so that's where it's kind of becomes more of a competition, but. You want Clyde to step into that role more. It needs to happen. We cannot continue going on with this where Clyde is not the guy that you're throwing the ball to more as a, as a you know, the, the running back. You know, he's the third down back. That needs to happen. And so when you think about that, when you think about Clyde being more of that pass down back and Ronald Jones being more of an, just an early down guy, yeah, I think he's a, an upgrade over what Daryl would give you. 
Yeah, I think that room looks really solid if if you're given some of those power running uh, carries to Jones, and then you're you're featuring Clyde Edwards-Helaire in the passing game, uh, and then you go down the depth chart a little bit and you say, all right, Derek Gore's back. Uh, and he showed some flashes. I mean, he had a 50-yard reception, a 50-yard run. I mean, he had some pretty big plays last year. Absolutely. But then they went out on a limb and they said, Brett Veach in this draft said there's going to be a 1,000-yard rusher that gets drafted <laughs> in the seventh round or undrafted free agency. That, that quote's going on his bulletin board and everybody else's. But So they, they draft a guy in the seventh round and they pick up uh, an undrafted free agent that's now listed as a running back slash receiver Mm-hmm. Any upside you see with those two guys taking over that Jarek McKinnon role? Yeah, so that's where I don't think it's upgraded, right? That's where I would say the downgrade to that the running back position is that passing down back that can play what McKinnon did last year. Now, McKinnon was more, you know, I don't want to corner him into that role because in the playoffs, he was their best runner in general, best running back overall, it seemed like. Um, and the statistics back that up. But I do think with the group they have now, if I, and I'm just looking at the three, the Clyde, the Ronald Jones, the Derek Gore, I think you could really use a veteran back, or I shouldn't even say veteran, but just a, a pass down back, a guy that's going to be reliable catching the catching the ball, you know, feel comfortable catching the ball, be a little faster, be more of a big play guy. You know, I do think they, they're kind of missing that. And I, and I do think Jerk McKinnon, hey, he's still out there. I think they could obviously fill that role with him. But then, yeah, so to get back to Pacheco, Isaiah Pacheco, the Rutgers running back they drafted in the seventh round. You know, when I see him, when I look at him, I think that pick was more maybe just, hey, this guy I think could profile as a kick returner. We we are missing that now. Byron Pringle is gone. They need a new kick returner. I think that is a, a position, you know, it's kind of an open audition this offseason. And I think they like him at that because he's the fastest running back at the combine. He's a straight-ahead guy. He's really fast straight-ahead. And he has some return experience. And then Ely, J- J- uh, J- Jerry and Ely, Jerry and Ely, I'm not sure how to say it. Um, uh, the Ole Miss running back that's listed, as you mentioned, as a receiver slash running back. You know, I, I think he's got a little more, he's got a little juice to him too. So those two are going to be competing for that last spot. But to be honest with you, I, I think the Pacheco thing, I, I've, I've been making the comparison. I think he's more of a Nile Davis where, you know, he's, he's not going to be the greatest running back, but he's going to be a, a, a big play threat every once in a while because in Andy Reid's offense as a kicker turner, you're going to get some opportunities to make some big plays. I actually like both of those guys, and I like having that position in the running back room be a young player that can play special teams that has some upside. And I definitely – I didn't want them to get another power runner, you know, yeah. at late in the draft. If you're yeah. going late in the draft, you're going on drafting free agents, let's go with somebody fast, someone that can be a big play threat even if they don't play consistently. And I think both of those guys have that ability. Uh, Ely was a, a all – SEC returner uh, for years. I mean, he's a really, really accomplished kick returner and, he, and he's fast and shifty in the open field. Jaco, while he is fast and he's a straight line fast, and that's why you compare him to Niall Davis because he's not the shiftiest guy in the world necessarily. Um, he was one of the best pass protection backs yeah. in the draft by a lot, of, a lot of people's measures. So that alone can get you on the field on third downs and get you opportunities as a young player that you might not otherwise get. So I'm not writing those guys off as a, as a downgrade to McKinnon yet. Uh, but I do like them and those two guys potentially in that role and potentially, potentially doing some, some kick returning, maybe even some punt returning, depending on how things go this season with, with the role for McCall Hardman. So uh, that one, maybe we'll, we'll give a, uh, uh, an undefined answer or an incomplete answer at this point, And we'll see how that plays out in camp. 
Let's go defense. Let's look at some defensive positions. Tell you what, let's do defense after the break. We're we're coming up on the, on the half hour already. Uh, let's actually, as we go to break, though, let's do something a little fun here. Uh, how about a little would you rather, Ron? Yeah, let's let's have some fun on the pod. You know, let's have a little little would you rather, just real quick, Stags, and 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 I guess I'll get your answer on the other half of it. But for the listeners out there, just think about this. Would you rather have George Karloftis have a Pro Bowl-level rookie season or Sky Moore have a Pro Bowl-level rookie season? I think it's a pretty interesting question. Let's go to break, and uh, we'll hear from the on the other side. All right, we're back on the Out of Structure podcast, the inaugural episode of this season, season two of the podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. We're having fun here. We left you on a, a, on a fun would you rather to, to ponder would you rather have George Karloftis or Sky Moore have a Pro Bowl levy, level rookie season? Stags, what is your answer here? Because I think it may surprise the people. Yeah, you know, you know, I've become sort of the AP poster child for uh, George Karloftis, and <laughs> and and not in a in a good way. And I, I feel bad about that because I do consider myself a, an optimist, and I I do want to give this guy every opportunity to succeed. I did the the pre draft analysis on Karloftis, and I and I saw. I think in, in just a realistic lens, a player that we should temper our expectations on. Somebody that's going to be, he's going to be a solid starter. He's going to eat up a lot of snaps, but you're just not going to be blown away by how dynamic he is. So, but in, in this case, in this would you rather, so the question again was, would you rather Karloftis or more have a Pro Bowl level rookie season? I, I think the Karloftis is the easy answer because there's just nobody else at that position or not as many people at that position. The Chiefs have a fairly loaded, I would argue, wide receiver room with a lot of different options that can step up and share the load. But who do they have at edge? I mean, you've got Frank Clark on one side, and even Frank Clark, you know, at this point in his career, it's not a given that he's going to play at a high level, a Pro Bowl level, a, a all-pro level. I mean, the fact that – the question is, is he going to play all 17 games even, I think, is, yeah. is something that we're not even sure of. So with Karloftis, if he steps up and plays at a Pro Bowl level his rookie season, it's going to completely smash expectations. I've been trying to temper expectations. I'm telling you, the what you should expect to see from Karloftis is competent play, lots of snaps, but about four sacks this season – uh, and and if you if you if that's your expectation, that's not a Pro Bowl season. But if that's your expectation, and he hits those things, it's a successful draft pick, even if it's not an exciting one. If he comes out and plays at a Pro Bowl level this year, you're talking double digit stacks from this guy. Uh, that is a home run. It's at a huge position in need. It's at a, a position that can have a huge impact on this defense and how this team plays overall. I mean, that is a that is a game changer. So uh, yeah. signing up for that uh, hypothetical scenario. But again, I'm, I'm not putting money on that by any means. Yeah, no, it, it is the easy answer there. Uh, you know, I think that to play devil's advocate, I think you could say, you know, it's more of a fun factor. If Sky Moore becomes, you know, the pro bowl, like big play receiver that everyone's like, oh, the Chiefs got this guy. You know, how did we let the Chiefs, you know, it'd be more of a fun thing. Um, kind of, you know, the highlight kind of thing, but you're right. You know, if the Chiefs got a, a Pro Bowl level pass rusher, uh, which is what we all basically said they really needed to do. And if that's if they got that done, then where is the hole on this team? As we're kind of talking about, which we'll we'll get back into now with some of the other positions that have, have improved. 
on the defensive side of the ball. Let's let's get into it. Uh, name another one. Let's let's uh, let's get back into it. Yeah. So so defensive line. So let's talk about that edge position. There you go. Uh, is Karloftis an improvement over which we now know is a former chief Melvin Ingram? So if your two starters last year were Clark and Ingram, this year it is Clark Loftus. Is that an improvement over what you had last year? I would say no. I do not think so. I do think, I, you know, and it's something that I, I'm going to give you credit for. I didn't really consider too much of, but they actually are pretty similar players the more you think about it. I think I think the, the thing Melvin has on him is is the veteran savvy, you know, the experience, right? The the Even the old man strength, which I know Carl Loftus is a, a raw dude, but... You know, I, Ingram, some of the, you know, some of the ways he just chucks dudes out of the way. Like, I don't know if Carlotta is going to be able to do that right away at the NFL level in his first year. So, yeah, I, I think it is a downgrade from Melvin to George Carlotta, but it may not be as big a one as you think, because, you know, some of the weaknesses uh, that Ingram had last year as a as having to be the starting edge defender uh, opposite Frank Clark, which no one really wanted that to happen, but it kind of had to just with how the, the lineup shook out. You know, I, some of the weaknesses he had are going to be some of the same weaknesses George Karloftis had, um, but maybe just the upside is not going to be the same, right? You know, Melvin Ingram's upside was, again, throwing a dude out of the way. Karloftis is going to have some some plays, but maybe not as much as Ingram had last year. You know, you could argue, and again, you can make a case for about anything, right, if you really think about it hard enough, but if we're talking about upgrades at these positions, you could look at it one of two ways. You can say – Will this position be better in 2022 than it was in 2021 on the field only? If all you're looking at is is on the field game tape on that you know that position to that position from one year to the next. But if you factor in younger under under contract for a long period of time, um, durable, cheaper maybe, uh, you could start to make the case for a guy like Clark Loftus. Uh, George Karloftis, uh, I'm just going to name him Clark Loftus. It's going to give me every time. I don't uh, know why. <laughs> so you can start making a case for Karloftis to be an upgrade if you're saying you're going to get similar production and it's cheaper and it's younger and the, the motor is is high. You know, I think you, you, you can make that case. Melvin Ingram, for all he brought to that defense, for all that he did for this team uh, – he had one sack last year, yeah. you know. He got some pressures. He played some good run defense. He was a spark plug in a lot of in a lot of times. Well, you know what? <laughs> when you describe George Kalarf, he's a spark plug. He's got a big motor, uh, plays good run defense, and he'll get some pressures. So, you know, really, the drop off in production may not be that that big of a difference between the two. And again, you've got a guy on a first round contract for four to five years if you love in the the youth and the prime of his career and he'll be in the prime of his career on this next contract if he sticks around so if you factor in all of those other things you can make a case that they're going to be better off in a long-term view at that position than they were last year no and that is the argument i I think you're right because yeah i think right away i think i think we'd all agree that melvin's going to give you more maybe impact just because he is a veteran he knows the nfl and we know and we've already seen him you know it's not a projection you know Karloff this is obviously a projection so it'll be interesting um but I, I know we got more so throw another one out man there's there's a ton on this defense that we can talk about yeah um what do you think about Justin Reed Tyron <laughs> oh. Matthew one-to-one play on the field for 2022 versus 2021 I'll set the parameters on this one specifically 
Can you make the case that Reed is an upgrade over Matthew in 2022? Man, this is a tough question. Um, you know, I do think there are things that both of them do different, right? I think one thing about Tyron, you know, he wasn't the, the best tackler. He wasn't the most aggressive, uh, especially towards the end. I think you really saw that. And that, I always kind of thought there might have been some injury-wise that, you know, he was never the greatest tackler, but it seemed like he really laid off it towards the end of last year. Um, but all that to say, you know, Reed's, Reed's 25 years old. He's, he's throwing his body out there. He's definitely more aggressive. You know, he's, he's definitely a guy that flies around a little more. Um, although Tyron, man, he, he can fly around. He, he teleports places. But the other thing, too, Tyron, you know, he could, he could mistake him for a corner at times. He could go into the slot and man up a guy and be a corner. I don't think you're getting that ability from Justin Reed. And, you know, that does limit what you can do uh, at times, you know, uh, the flexibility of your defense. All that to say... I do think I was all, all about this at the at the end of the season that it was it was probably a good idea to just let Tyron walk and just kind of move on. Right. Because I do think you'd be paying him for what he's already done, not for what he's going to do. And so with that in mind, Justin Reed is going to be an improvement. I can't believe I'm saying it, but on field, I do think Justin Reed is going to give you a little bit more just because of what age he's at, you know, where he's at in his career. And just he is a really good player. I mean, he's just a good yeah. player. He is. Uh I, I think he is. I went back and did a rewatch of last year's games, the 2021 season. And I was surprised at how many plays I saw of Matthew that were not as impressive as I expected to see. I, I think he's, he's obviously, you know, he's a hall of fame caliber player. He's, I can't say enough good about what he did here in the past, but there was a lot of business decisions being made. There were a lot of plays where, you know, maybe he's jogging down the field, you know, in certain situations, throwing his arms up in the air, uh, upset at what somebody else is doing. Yeah. Um, and, and that defense used him as a crutch. You know, they, they didn't know where to line up if he wasn't out there. Uh, so I really think that there's a, there's a good chance that Reed's going to be a better player this year and for, for a few years beyond because of his speed uh, you know, he, he does ha- also have the football intelligence that, that I think Matthew has. Um, and, and I think the defense as a whole, you know, has the opportunity to, to have some guys step up and he, and he's one of those. So I'm going to call it an upgrade as well. Let's, let's talk about a less controversial one, the Dan Sorensen role. I'll go out so far as to say that whatever name I say next, everybody's going to agree is an upgrade. <laughs> uh, but what I, I think, whether it's, Brian, Brian Cook as a direct third safety role. If your starters are Reed and Thornhill and Cook is your third safety and he's your big hitter and he's your in-the-box guy, he's your he's your Dan Sorensen, I think that's a day one upgrade and one that I'm excited to see on the field. I'm with you here. Yeah, no, I really am. Brian Cook, I think it was a direct draft. I think the draft pick was made to, to look at that role immediately. Um, you know, I think, you know, I mean, not I think, I, I do know. Uh, Sorensen was asked to do a lot more than Cook's going to be asked to do this year. I don't think you're going to have this controversy where Sorensen and, you know, last year, Sorensen and Thornhill, it was kind of, you know, Sorensen started over him at first or whatever. No, I, you know, Thornhill's playing over Cook right away for sure. Cook is definitely just going to be more of that third safety. And yeah, in that role, I, I do think there could be some lack of, uh, you know, maybe just comfort or football intelligence because, hey, you know, you got to give Sorensen some credit. You know, he stuck around for a long time. He, he played a lot of football. You know, he, he probably does have some experience that, you know, you're just not going to get with Brian Cook, and that might be a little bit of a disadvantage. 
But what Cook will do is be more of a playmaker. I, I really do think he'll fly to the ball a little quicker. And and he's just he he hits like Sorensen, but I think he he gives you a little more than just the hitting part of it. So yeah, he's an upgrade. Now, and even in college, Cook did make the best plays of his career. The best games of his career were on the biggest stage against the best opponents. And that is something that Sorensen had a knack, uh, especially earlier yeah. on in his Chiefs career. So, yeah, I love it as a one-to-one comparison. It gets a little murkier murkier <laughs> if uh, Thornhill is your third safety and Cook is your starter. Uh, I think that's that makes an interesting – more of an interesting conversation, but maybe we'll save that for another day. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening this year, to be honest with. At least right away. At least right away. I, I, I think Thornhill. He's in, he's the only safety that's been in the system more than he's actually the only returning safety, I guess, besides Zane Anderson. So he's got to be one of those two. All right. So another less controversial one uh, at that dime linebacker role, the Ben Neiman role. Uh, it's just forever going to be known as the Ben Neiman role from from here forward. Um, Whoever they slot in there, is that going to be an improvement? Is it Jermaine Carter? Is it uh, Mike Rose? Is it, you know, or, or is it uh, one of the other players on the roster like a, like you you and I have hoped for a while? Is it, could it be Willie Gay Jr. that gets to play in that role in addition to his uh, every down job? But I think that they have purposefully upgraded the role over Ben Neiman, uh, whoever steps into that job. Yeah, I think so. Um, and this, and that's why we're talking dime linebacker, this position, and we just talked about the dime safety. Those two go hand in hand. Those two are on the field together in that dime package that Spags loves to go to on third down, where there's you know only one linebacker on the field, and that's this guy, you know Ben Neiman for the last three years. We, it, it makes sense for it to be Willie Gay. You want someone that can cover a lot of ground that can still give you run support. Willie Gay can absolutely do that. But he's, it just seems like he likes to specialize this position. So you mentioned Jermaine Carter. That's someone I'm a little worried about that it could be because he did start at Mike last year, Mike linebacker for the Panthers. I do think he he kind of wants someone that can maybe be a Mike type, you know, be a be a, a green dot. The backup and, Mike, yep. Yeah, and, and so in that case, just have Nick Bolton do it if you really want someone out there. Just please... <laughs> Please put one of these three linebackers on the field. It better be Willie Gay, Bolton, or Chanel. I don't think it'll be Chanel, but I just I really don't want to see them go back to this random linebacker being used in one of the most important snaps of of a down or of a drive on third down. It's it's just I don't want to see it. So Willie, yeah, so, Gay, Willie Gay, hopefully. So Carter is the obvious um, one to one if you look at the the moves they made in the offseason. But I do think there are two undrafted free agents that have a shot at that. It is Jack Cochran and Mike Rose. Both have some chops in the passing game, in the coverage game. Uh, we will see if they can make the roster and win that job. If you have to have a specialist and somebody who plays a lot of special teams, uh, I think either one of those undrafted free agents might be a nice a nice fit there. And maybe somebody like Carter doesn't even make the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's know. others like like if you look at it as a one-to-one, you've got, uh, uh, you've got Bush uh, as a safety uh, special teams player. Uh, that, that might be the Armani watch replacement. You've got uh, Lee, um, you know, that might be the new Dorian O'Daniel. Uh, both of those guys may end up on the roster bubble with all of the uh, uh, the other additions that they made through this draft process. But uh, I think either way, I keep talking about upgrading the depth. If you're upgrading over Watts, DOD, Neiman, Sorensen, uh, all those guys on the defensive side, at least with some higher upside players, I think I think you can make a case that they're going to be better, even if it's just a addition by subtraction there. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Now, one position we we uh, we uh, we didn't get to. I don't think we did. We talk about Jaron Reed. Uh, we can cut this. Out. Not yet. Okay, uh, and and I'll fix that up. But one position, <laughs> one position we didn't get to. Uh, you know, yet that I really am interested in because I feel like it is an under talked about position right now. It's that second defensive tackle starting uh, beside Chris Jones. Last year was Jaron Reed all year. He he was the guy that they trusted to play early downs and sometimes on third downs as one of their best rushers because I do think he had that three down ability. He was that good of a player. And I don't think the Chiefs have that same type of player where you can throw him in and trust him to play all three downs. You know, I think it'll be more of a situational role. And so that is a downgrade to me. And, and I think that's one position that they have downgraded. Now, now maybe the, I want to hear your take on this. Does the combination of Derek Noddy, Tershawn Wharton, Taylor Stallworth, all those guys, Colin Saunders, does that make up for not having a Jaron Reed type this year? Yeah, I actually think it could. I think Derek yeah. Noddy played pretty well at Spurts last year. He had his best pass rushing season of his career, which is, yes, I'm saying that maybe in air quotes here, but uh, Derek Noddy is still your, your run stuffer in that scenario. He's still your nose tackle next to Chris Jones in the base defense. Uh, and then when you need a little pass rush juice, I really do think there's some upside in Taylor Stallworth that they, they came over from Indianapolis. He's a guy that had in very, very limited snaps was productive. I uh, got to the quarterback and got there pretty quick. If you watch his, his game film, uh, he's somebody I'm really excited to see in camp. I think he could be better than what Jaron Reed was last year in more of a, you know, a, a sub package or a pass rush option as compared to Derek Nottie. Um, and I think you do have some interesting, you know, questions about, you know, the, the other guys on the roster. I don't know if Colin Saunders makes this roster or not. Uh, he, he's one to watch. Um, I do like Tershawn Wharton. I think there's some, some uh, really exciting stuff that he can do. But he also went really quiet for really long stretches of, of uh, play mm-hmm. last year that was a little concerning to me. A guy like him, you should see flashes here and there, even if he's he's not the most stout guy in the world. You want to see those, those big splash plays. So uh, I'm not banking on any of those guys, but I, I do have a lot of hope for Stallworth. I think he could be a better Jaron Reed. One last thing I'll put on this because you talk about Wharton. You know, I, something I've thought about, do they think Wharton could maybe play some DN for them? Because um, he has, he does line up at DN every once in a while situationally. But, you know, with the lack of, of work or lack of additions to the defensive end room, and maybe that's something they kind of have in the back of their head because he, he is a little bit of a lighter defensive tackle. Maybe that, that, um, that you know, that kind of that speed and quickness at his size could be utilized a little more on the edge. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, let's talk about corners. Uh, what about, you know, they lost Traverius Ward, who was such a Stallworth for them. Uh, you know, since we just talked about Stallworth there. Uh, <laughs> Traverius Ward moves on, gets a bigger contract somewhere else. And they draft Trent McDuffie in the first round. They made it very, very clear that cornerback was their priority in the first round. They were trading up for a corner. They went up, got their guy, somebody they didn't think they were going to get. I think that could be an upgrade. What do you think? Yeah, corner is such a hard position, I feel like, to come in right away and play well, even if you're one of the top picks. I just feel like, and to, first of all, corner position is just a hard position in general, right, in today's NFL where none of the rules uh, go for you or anything and offenses have all the advantages. All that to say, you know, I, I do think you get just something different, and I think the different is is good. It's better than what you got from Traverius Ward in terms of, 
yeah, Ward has the experience and he really knew how to use his body type, that physical, that length, that that ability to kind of disrupt routes at the line and kind of always be near the ball at the catch point because he's so long. I think McDuffie, he's not the he's not a, a bigger guy, he's more of a smaller player, but the way he can move, the, how how much faster he is, how much he'll be able to stick on a a, a player more in coverage without, you know, mean grabby because he's just more athletic. I think that upside uh, just makes the cornerback position better because I, I think I don't think they've had this true cover corner in a while, and McDuffie should be that. I mean, maybe if it's not right away, but I do think at some point McDuffie is going to allow them to do a lot. You know, I guess more in the secondary, trust their corners more. Spags has trusted his corners a lot. We saw it almost to a fault last year, but maybe now it doesn't look as bad because McDuffie can actually be trusted on an island more than these other guys were. Yeah, absolutely. I, we talked a little bit about how the secondary looked lost at times last year. Uh, we've talked a lot about how the pass rush was terrible, but really, if you look at the numbers, and I don't have them right in front of me, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they were something like sixth in the NFL in quarterback pressures last year yep. and 29th in sacks. Yeah, that's a real stat, yeah. That, that tells you that they're not completely inept at getting getting to the quarterback or getting into the backfield, but quarterbacks are finding open receivers quickly, and they're getting the ball out, and so – so, yeah, maybe you get a stickier corner or two out there, and all of a sudden you give your your guys, Clark Loftus, gets enough time to get home. So, you know, I'm optimistic that I think McDuffie is a, a number one type corner, a, a corner that is a pencil him in. He's a starter. As long as he's in Kansas City, he is your 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 number one corner. Um, even though Legereus Sneed is a really, really fantastic player, I think McDuffie might just be the – the one-to-one replacement for Ward that you just don't even think about it. He's the guy. Yeah, I, I really do think so. And I know you're going to get into it, but what what does that do? It just makes the depth better, right? You know, now you have your th- third cornerback as, and I guess he was the third cornerback last year too in Rashad Fenton. But, you know, at, at times, you know, it was Mike Hughes playing that that third cornerback role and and we saw how that would go at times. So, you know what? I, I would actually go so far as to say Joshua Williams might be your Mike Hughes replacement. Yeah. Um, and that's a guy who, who you know, is coming from a small school, has some development probably to do, but physically fits the profile so much better than a Mike Hughes did. Um, and, you know, if, if you can start getting those significant snaps between that group of Fenton, Williams, and by the way, we, we keep forgetting that uh, uh, they actually traded for another corner, right? So, Lonnie Johnson could easily be the new uh, Mike Hughes as well. So you've got a couple of big, longer, you know, more physical, you know, guys playing those positions that are still young uh, and have some upside to replace Mike Hughes and maybe DeAndre Baker as well. Uh, that's another guy who's who's probably on the roster bubble now with all of these additions. I, I think you could make the case that that cornerback room is going to be better all the way down the line. Yeah. I, oh, I definitely think it will be. And so, that's all right. Well, what about? Here's a position I'm probably the most excited about on the defense being an upgrade, uh, and and maybe irrationally so. But for you and I have talked about forever wanting a a Sam linebacker that can get to the quarterback, uh, that third starting linebacker in the base that can do a lot of different things for your defense, and it's not going to be an embarrassment if he has to run. Um, I'm really excited to see Leo Chanel in that role, and I think. Chanel, if he's just an upgrade one-to-one over the other linebacker they had last year, uh, would you rather have Anthony Hitchens or Leo Chanel? 
uh, in that in that really specific role this year, knowing what you have in Bolton, knowing what you have in Gay. Uh, I'm pretty pumped about Chanel at the Sam, Bolton at the Mike, Gay at the Will. So much more exciting to me than Gay at the Sam, uh, you know, Bolton at the Mike, and, and Hitchens at the Will. Think about where we were just a couple of years ago. This linebacker group was the only position we could really, I feel like, truly complain about, um, you know, at times, you know, with, with the rest of the, how the defense is playing. It was really the linebacker group. Now you could make the argument they're one of the most exciting linebacker groups in the NFL uh, or or just even one of the best if you're talking three a trio of linebackers. Because Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, you know, uh, although it's been limited snaps, they've proven something. And, man, I, you were excited too. I, I am so excited for Leo Chanel. I was the one who was able to dig into his film after the draft. And, you know, you, you watch him and you see why ha, what happened. Why did he go in the third round? I mean, this is a guy that, that looks just as good as any of the other linebacker prospects um, that, won, that went closer to, to uh, you know, the top of the second round or, or in the second round. Yeah, man, he, he is someone that, that just flashes because he just explodes through holes as, as a run defender. But, man, I really do think there's going to be something, too. You know, in the base formation, they put him on the edge of a defense. And, first of all, if it's a tight end, he'll, he, he'll shred a tight end. He'll shed that tight end real quick. But I also, I also think just with his quickness, his athleticism, he was a 9.99 RAS score. I think he could really be a, a a change of pace edge rusher, man. Where where the offensive tackle is not used to going against him, he kind of has the quickness and the the because he can bend, man. He he bends pretty well for a a yeah. linebacker. So I, I'm excited, man. I really think he could be something that the Chiefs haven't had in a while. If Carloftis is your strong side, and I know the the Chiefs don't necessarily always stick to this, but if if Carloftis is your strong side edge, and you can line Chanel outside of him and send both of those guys at a tackle and a tight end, uh, you're, you're bringing some violence there. And it, and it might be it might be pretty unfun to be an offense going up against those two guys. And I, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. No, Chanel, he, he, you, he just, he set it off, man. The, the rookie thing, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, violence, physicality, man. He knows how to get a crowd riled up. So he's going to be a fun player. Well, the other part of the team that you, one could argue is maybe not better, special teams as a whole. Uh, you noted there's a lot of turnover on the special teams units, and yeah. Uncle Dave may not be as excited, uh, at least prior to the draft, maybe he wasn't as excited about this group coming in. Now, I will say, and we mentioned it before, some of the additions that they've made were clearly special teams driven. Elijah Lee is a special teams player. Uh, Bush, Dion Bush is a, is a special teams player. They, they certainly have tried to get some special teams players prior to the draft. And they certainly added some guys in the draft. But uh, what do you think about the special teams unit as a whole? Can you say it's been improved now that they've made all of those additional? Uh, or or what's, the, what's the turnover there? What has that done to Uncle Dave? So, and you can even make the argument Blake Bell is also included in that. Because, um, you know, I really think Noah Gray is going to be tight end too this year. So I think Blake Bell might just be some special teams um, continuity because six of the eight leading special team snap getters in 2021, and I'm not including Harrison Bucker in, in that top, it'd be nine, including him, but six of the top eight snap getters are not returning. And that's, and, and so, and in my opinion, if you're just not returning special teams guys, that just makes it worse. Because uh, I, I get players can be, you know, it, it, special teams roles kind of easy to fill just physically, but I think 
continuity wise, I, I just think have, having a unit together for, and I think that's why special teams is so good for the Chiefs sometimes because they do like to keep these depth players together. And 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 Dave, as you just mentioned, Uncle Dave, he gets his way a lot of the times where a guy like Dorian O'Daniel and Armani Watts are on the team for their entire rookie contract, even though they did nothing on defense. So, but we're past that era now. So I think it's a new wave. So he's kind of have to regroup and rebuild a special teams unit. And, and so I don't think it's going to be as good this year. We'll see again. Uh, we were just talking about Leo Chanel. I, I'm pretty excited to see him coming with a head of steam on yeah, a coverage. He, he might make up for it all because he is going <laughs> to be a man possessed on special teams. You can already see it. And I did notice in in Karloftis college tape, he had a couple of block field goals as well. Okay. Um, so you may you may have some some rookies in there filling up those roles. I think Joshua Williams can be a special teams player. Um, I think your the other corners that they drafted late. I think you've got some special teams ability in the, that came specifically in the seventh round uh, with the two guys they drafted there. So, um, and, and Pachenko could, could easily be that returner and and uh, and maybe even a gunner as well. But it does get interesting when you start talking about the wide receiver room. There's not a lot of wide receivers now that are special teamers. You had really relied on Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, Marcus Kemp, Garrett Dieter. Some of these guys were your your special team stalwarts. And and now that wide receiver room is full of guys who are going to play offense and they might not play a lot of special teams. I mean, I can't imagine MVS as a gunner. Can you? I mean, it, Juju's not out there uh, covering kicks. Um, you know, if Josh Gordon makes this team, he's not a special teams player. If Justin Ross makes this team, he's not a special teams player. Like, who do you have in the wide receiver room that, that you're going to put in a core four special teams position? Yeah, I mean, it might have to be Sky Moore. He's a second-round pick, and he might have to be doing some of the dirty work to start his career because you're right. Um, I, I do think Darius Fountain, um, I think we all, well, I specifically, maybe last year was just like, well, he's more, he's just a receiver, and they didn't really ever use him on special teams. But, you know, you can't just keep making that excuse for him. I mean, at some point, he's got to step up and play special teams, so he could be someone that, that fills in, I think. That's actually why I'm a little pessimistic about uh, some of these, some of these wide receivers making this roster. Yeah. Uh, if you had to put a gun to head today, I would say Josh Gordon does not make it. I would say Justin Ross does not make it. And I think they fill those last two spots with somebody like Cornell Powell, or maybe they bring back Marcus Kemp or or Garrett Dieter or somebody else <laughs> that is really a special teams uh, focused guy, and and they try to sneak Ross onto the practice squad you know, we're on IR or something like that for a future development. But I, I, I tend to think that, that those last couple receiver spots almost have to be special teamers, which makes it really tough for a guy like Josh Gordon to make this roster. Man, they gave away Dieter's 12, so it's over, man. It, it's, <laughs> it's done. They, 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 uh, they took it out of the retirement case, the retired jersey case. You know what? Uh, Speaking of jersey numbers, uh, and, and you've covered a couple of these guys already, I, I think the, the people need a new segment here. I want to introduce them to a new contributor to the Out of Structure podcast, <laughs> a guy, guy I like to call Ramblin' Ron. Ron's going to hit us up every every episode now uh, with just some, some things that have been eaten at him, some things that he just needs to get off his chest. Uh, so, Ron, Ramblin' Ron, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, what do you got for us this week? I almost feel like I got to do like a new voice or something, like an accent for <laughs> Ramblin' Ron. Like I feel like it'd be like a southern accent or it like, has a West, to be a southern accent. like a West, like a Western. There's maybe. no G in Ramblin', right? It's just yeah. Ramblin'. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, born a Ramblin' man. It's a good song. 
so rambling Ron here today because jersey numbers are a thing that I pay attention to, maybe a little more than anyone needs to. But the aesthetic is so important in football. As football fans, we love the aesthetic of players. That's why single-digit numbers are all of a sudden so cool. But one thing that really ticked me off, not ticked me off, it just grinded my gears a little bit. We're getting this whole new wave of young defensive players. We're all excited about them. Leo Chanel, we just talked about. George Karloftis. And then they go ahead and pick the numbers of guys that we're trying to forget about, trying to move past. Why is George Karloftis number 56? And, and Leo Chanel, give him credit, he was 49 at first. He switched to 54 because now Nick Bolton's number 32, which I think will look pretty cool uh, for a linebacker to be in the 30s. I just think that's kind of a cool aesthetic. But George Karloftis at 56, come on, dude. I not, in the nine, Somewhere in the 90s would have looked so cool. Even a different 50s number, but... Man, 56, that just, it kills me because he's he's white too, I'll say it. It's just going to look too much like Ben Neiman. Like, I, I wanted to forget about, and we keep, and why can't 56 be retired yet? Derek Johnson is is an all-time great, like, I don't know, man. I uh, I, I, I don't want to see it. I want Karloftis to switch to a new number too. You're, you're right. The the number 56, I've, I'd almost completely forgotten that that was DJ's number because it's been yeah. Ben Neiman it's been the, the plague of the defense when 56 and 49, uh, Tom Brady's two favorite numbers probably now <laughs> after playing the Chiefs for a couple of years. Yeah, it, it was a bad look for those guys. Uh, Karloftis was five in college, if I remember right. So yeah. those single digits on the defensive line looks kind of cool sometimes too. Uh, I, I am somebody, I just don't care about jersey numbers, but <laughs> I, I can see how that eats a guy like you up. Dude, come on. I mean, you got to you got to feel some sort of way that Karloftis is, is and it's just 50s as an edge rusher. It's just I don't know. I feel like you got to kind of to be a smaller guy, more of a, a finesse player. I think if you're a big dude like Karloftis, you got to go for the 90s, man. You got to be 99, 98. Like, I know he's not the biggest dude, but I I, I, I like Chanel's 54, though. I'm good with that. Um, and I do want to say real quick, I I, I, I tweeted out the other day about Daryl Williams just because I'm surprised he hasn't been signed yet. I just wanted to clarify, I don't think it should be re-signed by the Chiefs, as we've talked about a little bit. I, I, I think they've moved past that, but Stacks, he was one of 18 running backs last year to have 1,000 total yards and eight total touchdowns. I would just think, even if, because I get it, he's not the most exciting back, but don't you think someone should have signed him by now? Like, he, shouldn't he have a spot in, in some sort of rotation? Like, I just, I don't know. I, I really, I kind of feel bad for my guy, because I feel like he proved a lot last year, and that's a pretty big season for an undrafted free agent. Um, and he built up to that. It was four years, and he and he broke out in his last year with the team. And I don't know. I'm just surprised he's not signed, man. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other running backs who have been far less productive that have uh, found new homes this offseason. That's what I'm saying. Daryl Williams was borderline fantasy relevant with the stats he put up last year. And, uh, and yeah, for him to still be sitting there as a free agent, you got to wonder what the what's going on with his market. Yeah, you, you know, he's still relatively young. He's still – you know he he's had he's had some injuries here and there, but but he's been pretty reliable overall. Good pass protector, you know, good team player. Yeah, yeah I mean we're we're uh, we're subcontracting for his agents right now. Somebody, <laughs> somebody give this guy a job. He's a, a good productive player. Certainly, uh, as a tandem, you can do a lot worse than Daryl Williams. Well, and you mentioned agent. I do think one thing maybe holding him up potentially is maybe he thinks a little too highly of himself. Maybe he's kind of demanding a, a pretty good deal for a back when it's like, look, we can, you know, we can get a back 
that kind of plays like you anywhere um, necessarily. I think he deserves a little more than that consideration. I think he proved more than that last year, but I see, I get why an NFL team maybe wouldn't think any more highly of him than they, than they would have before last I mean, year. Would you rather have Daryl Williams or Melvin Gordon? You know, like, <laughs> I, I, I would say I would say Daryl. I mean Melvin Gordon. Uh, they very similar players, and I don't know. Maybe that's maybe, maybe that's a stretch. I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I'm just I just feel bad for my guy. I think he he was a very uh, fun guy to see progress last year, and now we're not even gonna. I mean, he's probably just gonna be a camp or someone that gets signed right before the season. So just feel bad for my guy. All right, Ryan. You feel better getting some of that stuff off your chest? I do. Thank you for letting me ramble. Static. Well, in, in my recurring segment, uh, there's a piece that I write on Arrowhead Pride just every once in a while, whenever I feel like there's something I need to get out there. Uh, I call it Stagner Things. Thanks to uh, uh, one of our good friends on Twitter. I created the logo for me, and, and it's just sort of stuck. If you've ever seen that show Stranger Things on Netflix, they there's the Upside Down, which is like the alternate universe there. And so I always try to write something like from the upside down, which is a, a hot take or, or a kind of a, a weird scenario or, or maybe just an unpopular take. So I'll, I'll try to bring one of those up each week. And I'll start with my own. When Pete Sweeney tw- uh, tweets out uh, on a regular basis, I think it's once a week, your most unpopular Chiefs takes. I threw one out that I got a lot of responses this last week or two. Um, I'm going to say that both – Clyde Edwards-Alaire and McCole Hardman have extremely productive 2022 seasons, and they remain a big part of this offense in 2023 and beyond. And I think that's the controversial part. Both of these players, uh, I think, have gotten underrated by Chiefs fans because your, your expectations maybe were high because of where they were drafted. But if their play on the field when healthy – has gotten dramatically underrated. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year, when healthy, when on the field, was extremely productive. He was fun to watch. He took a lot of you know three to five yard runs and made five to ten yards out of them. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of fifty you know to seventy yard runs in him, uh, but that guy breaks tackles, gets open in space. He's got some some moves and some shifts, some jump cuts and things like that. Uh, that make him a really fun running back to watch. And I think he's gotten highly underrated, just like McCole Hardman, because McCole's always going to be compared to DK Metcalf, and he's going to be the second-round pick that the Chiefs traded up for. Clyde's always going to be the running back they took in the first round, which you never want to do. And and both of these guys, I think, are going to be criminally underrated by fans uh, until that you see that the Chiefs re-sign them for a new contract. It's not going to happen today, but this time next year, we could very well be sitting here talking about new contracts for both of those players as core pieces of this offense moving forward with a lot of new pieces around them. Uh, and, and maybe we'll have a different point of view on these two guys, both of them, at this point next year. I'm with it. I'm with it. I, I, I agree that they're both you know, very underrated for probably what they're going to do this year. Um, I want to I try to poke a hole in it because – you know, the Clyde thing makes sense, right? Because if he has a really good year this year and proves, you know, something, he has a whole nother year. He has that. Well, actually, he has a fifth year option they could pick up, but they can extend him next offseason. Now, McColl is entering his contract year. So that means he is a free agent next year. If he goes off, they're going to have to sign him big money. So that's where I'm trying to see if I can poke you a little bit. 
he's going to be expensive if he has as good a year as maybe you're proposing. So what does that change? Does that change anything in your mind thinking about it like that? (laughs) You know what? The Christian Kirk contract, those Jacksonville Jaguars (laughs) blew this whole thing up. Yeah. They they might, they might put a monkey wrench in this theory because if you compare the career path of those two guys, Christian Kirk versus McCole Hardman, McCole Hardman's actually been a a equally productive player uh, if not better in some ways than Kirk oh, yeah. has been. And he's an $18 million contract now. Uh, it would be pretty startling to see the Chiefs sign McCall Hardman to an $18 million per year contract. Uh, it be very surprising to a lot of folks. But I, I do think he's going to have some interest from around the league. I think the speed that he has, the versatility that he has, the playmaking the ability that he's shown. I mean, this is a player that the Chiefs have – design touches for that they have put him in the scripted plays that when Tyreek was out, they doubled those, those scripted plays by giving him a lot of the Tyreek touches. I'm not sure that that changes this year uh, in any way, but up. And, and yeah, I think he's going to have interest from around the league. You know what? He might be a franchise tag candidate. Yeah. You know, after this point, that's a good point because you know, I, it's, I would say it's, it is a pretty high price tag. I would, probably what 16 17 18 million i'd say somewhere in that range maybe for you know i'm not gonna act like i know jared Sapp would probably know shout out jared he'd always does that kind of stuff but uh uh no i i do want to say though because it is it's interesting the maybe the way you do justify uh, maybe not justify it though but if he does go off he maybe have proved it and maybe he does just deserve that contract especially when you consider he's not just a receiver that has a good season. He's the guy that we know has speed that no one else really can replicate. If he puts a pretty good season on top of that, you can maybe justify saying, look, we're paying someone, we're paying for something that nothing, nobody else in the league has. And even if it may be, you know, more than, you know, he's proven so far, maybe you just say, look, he, he proved it to us at the right time. You kind of just have to make the deal because we, we value that special ability. And he just gave it, you know, he just gave it to us for this year. You know, I I would be the one to be maybe skeptical of what it looked like, but hey, again, we have to see it, right? We're acting, you know, we're talking about this before we'd even see that go off season. If he does go off, man, he might just deserve the contract he 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 asked for. That's right. And historically, a lot of wide receivers have broken out in their fourth year. McColl's yes. a young player. This is his fourth season. He just came off a 693 yard uh, season receiving his receptions and targets have gone up each year while his average has gone down. Uh, his, his average yards per catch has gone down because it, his rookie season was an all-timer with a 20.7 average, yeah. uh, making huge, huge plays and very limited targets. So he's shown the big play ability. He's shown some, some of the underneath ability. And that straight line speed is is different. And he stands out on the field. He, he moves at a different pace than just about everybody else in the field. And maybe we didn't notice it as much when you had Tyreek Hill was who was doing Tyreek Hill things. But I bet that stands out this year. And I bet that's an element of this offense they don't want to give up because there's there's guys who can do what MVS does. There's guys that can do what Juju does. Uh, but it might be harder for them to, to replicate what, what McColl does. And I think the three of them are going to be a nice complement together uh, along with Sky Moore. And it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Well, and and all three of them, I like how you mentioned the three of them together because they're all in similar positions, too. I mean, first of all, McColl and Juju are both slated to be free agents next offseason. But Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 
even though he signed that three-year deal, I mean, it, it's everyone, we can kind of all tell that they can get out of it very quickly. They can cut him next year without much, um, you know, uh, loss, I should say. So, yeah, those three are all kind of proving something at the same time. And and it's kind of a battle to for one of them to kind of earn that big contract because if one of them does emerge and is the big play guy, you know, it's they probably could justify, you know, saying, hey, I need this big, co-, you know, maybe not MVS. I don't think he has that ceiling, but... You know, I think McColl and Juju are both young enough and and explosive enough and playmakers enough to where they could they could have a great year and then all of a sudden earn a huge contract from the Chiefs next offseason. Very well could see it happening. It is going to be a fun position group to watch in training camp this summer. Hopefully we'll get to see some of you good folks up there in St. Joseph yeah, uh, when yeah. the Chiefs t- uh, get into camp. You see some real competition. I think with the youth and the energy and the physicality on this team, it's going to be phenomenal to see how it plays out. Uh, A lot of stuff to talk about. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks with another edition of the Out of Structure podcast. You'll hear more from Ramblin' Ron. Uh, You'll get some some other hot takes from us uh, from the upside down. Uh, We'll keep doing some Chiefs Would You Rathers because I think that's a a good time as well. Uh, So, Ron, anything else you want to preview? Yeah, and and I do want to say we love the mailbag, guys. We love the mailbag, so... We're going to make sure to send out some mailbag tweets maybe before next episode. But also, we have the email. So if anyone wants to email in a question, the email is apoutofstructure at gmail.com. Send a question in there, and we'll get to reading it on the on the podcast. But yeah, great show. It, it was fun to be back with the Stags Talking Chiefs, and uh, I I'm appreciate the listeners listening, and I'm excited for, uh, for this offseason, man. We're going to have some fun. In some ways, I like the offseason even better than the season. And some, <laughs> yeah, in some ways. Yeah. Things goes. yeah, maybe not the postseason, but the regular season <laughs> sometimes drags on a little bit. Now, we're happy to be back with you all. We're happy that you're taking the time to listen with us and all of the other Arrowhead Pride podcasts on the network. Uh, phenomenal content coming from, from England to California uh, to Kansas City, of course. Uh, looking forward to... Uh, a lot more Chiefs talk this offseason. Looking forward to hearing from you from the mailbag. We might even throw some questions out in your direction and try to get your thoughts uh, in addition to your questions. Want to make sure this is an interactive, out-of-structure podcast with a little bit more structure going forward. Uh, I'm Matt Stagger. This is Ron Cobb Jr. here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you in just a couple of weeks. <laughs>